of the Slash Sanitarium. I'm your host, Troy, and we are talking about From Season 2, Episode 4, this one entitled This Way Gone. The episode starts with Christy showing Kenny and his parents around the clinic since Kenny's dad is going to be staring there. Obviously, we are in the past. His father, Bing Kwan, says he doesn't want to stay there because it's too sunny. Kenny says that they can sit down and play chess together here. He asks if they can all stay there together. Christy excuses herself so that they can explain what is happening again. And Kenny says that he and his mother are going to be right down the street. Bianquan tries tried to open the door for the monsters, and that is why he is being left here. Tian tells him that he is sick, and he will come home once he is better. Kenny knows she's lying, but lets her continue. Here's the thing. How is staying at the clinic any safer than staying with Kenny and his mother? I guess if the idea is that Gina was working the night shift so that she could keep an eye on him to make sure he didn't open the door. But if that was the case, like, that's kind of rough for her to just 100% be watching him. Or is this just a case of, like, if he opens the door, he'll be the only one to die? If there's nobody else in the clinic, I don't know. It just it seems like it'd be easier to keep an eye on him in a small house than it would be to keep an eye on him in a clinic where you might have other people sitting there. Kenny walks outside and starts to cry. Boyd walks up, and he still has his gray soul patch, so that's a bit of a continuity started. It's just an error. There's nothing to craft theories over. That's all. It just didn't dye his beard for this little part. Kenny says that the creatures were knocking on the door, and Bianquan thought his brothers were outside. Thankfully, they avoided disaster, but he did knock over the mother. Boyd asks Kenny to be his deputy so he can watch Boyd's six. Kenny agrees, and then we cut to the present where Kenny is running to grab Sheriff Boyd. He says he needs to show him something. Tabitha is just staring out a window with the water running when Julie walks up. She asks Tabitha if it happened again, and Tabitha says yes. She did, in fact, see something, but she's fine. She asks Julie to watch Ethan while she goes and talks to their dad. They hug, and Julie meets Ethan on the stairs. Jade enters and asks if they are living there now. He says he finally got rid of those three smelly-ass hippies from Colony House, and now he has the Matthews family to deal with. Ethan and Julie agree to go and see Victor. Boyd and Kenny enter the church basement, and he shows Boyd that Sarah is there. Boyd asks for privacy, and Kenny relo. And she says that she entered the tree right behind him, but instead she wound up in this basement. She's been hiding out there since. I guess that either the creatures don't know about the faraway trees, or are not able to use them, or maybe that's just unsportsman of them, because... If they knew 
that there was a chance that they could enter one of the trees and just be inside of a basement of the church where someone might be staying, it'd be pretty easy pickings. That, of course, is if the one of the destinations is the basement of the church, which obviously we've seen them wind up in all sorts of different places, so it's not out of the realm of possibility, but I don't know how much you can trust her. I mean, clearly she's there now, but that doesn't mean that she didn't wind up someplace else and then make her way back and, you know, just kind of get there. So, But either we'll see or we, don't, or we won't. Boyd asks how she knew that the tree was going to send him someplace, and Sarah explains that the boy in white told her, and she thinks he is trapped there like they are. So that's interesting, because the boy in white clearly is not a person. He's not a, well, he's not a normal person, I would say, because he is, obviously doesn't age, and he's able to just kind of pop up. And if you think of him and the two ghosts all being trapped there, is is another, like, it, it's a theory for sure, but what happened that made it different for them? That they are Abby or anyone else that has died, we don't see them show up in the same way. Now, I say that knowing farewell that we're going to have a visit from Father Katri in this episode, but that is different. At least I believe that's different, because that more seems like a uh, hallucination or a physical manifestation of Boyd talking to himself than it is the boy in white who is trying to help them. The boy said that Nathan was right. They made the place angry. And the boy isn't one of the voices she hears. Boyd says he is glad she is back, but if people find out she's there, it will be a shit show. Sarah asked to be put into the box, and Boyd says that is not going to happen, and he needs to talk to Kenny. Sarah asks if he told Kenny that she killed his father, and Boyd says he has not. So this starts another interesting theory. We have... Or I, I've, I've been reading. People think that those that have the worms in them, which would be Boyd and Sarah and formerly Martin, that they're not going to be eaten by the creatures, or they're not going to be harmed by the creatures. You can look at it as Sarah unlocked the door to the clinic right as nightfall was coming, and the creatures were right there, and she was able to safely get back to her own home untouched. You think about Boyd being in the woods the other night and the fact that none of them noticed him there, or if they did notice him, didn't make any kind of uh, play towards him. And obviously with Martin being chained up, and we don't know who did that, and we don't know if any of the creatures ever went and visited him, it's possible that Sarah is going to be put into the box. And in the morning they're going to come out there and find her a-okay. And if that's the case, it would obviously mean that Boyd is immune to having the creatures mess with him at all, but it also would be that everybody in town would see that Sarah is actually special. So the flip side of that is that Boyd has whatever Sarah has, and that Sarah's going to be ripped apart, and Boyd's going to be the new Sarah. Also possible. But I guess we'll have to wait until we actually see what's going to happen there. 
Kenny asks Boyd what is going on, and Boyd says that Sarah is uniquely connected to this place. Boyd then tells him that Father Katri knew, and he was the one who locked her up in the basement. Kenny understands that something was using Sarah as a pawn, and a plan was to use that to their advantage. Boyd then admits that he took Sarah into the forest, and he says that Sarah saved his life. Kenny reminds him that Sarah killed her own brother, and did try to kill a nine-year-old boy. Boyd says it may be unforgivable, but when she killed those people, which then Kenny catches him and he's like, Oh, what? Pretty sure she only killed one person. He then asks what happens when the Matthews family finds out. They're probably not going to be too pleased either to learn that the chick that was like seconds from killing their boy is wandering around semi-free. Boyd screams out that she's not going in the box, and nobody else is going in the fucking box. Boyd then gets a little lightheaded, and he goes outside, where he falls to the ground. His worms seem to be unhappy with him? And Kenny helps him up, and calls over others to help him get to the clinic. So we know that the worms can form messages in your arm? Or, at least we think that's the case? Why would the worms be unhappy that Boyd is screaming about not putting Sarah in the box. Is it simply because of the fact that they want to sacrifice Sarah? Or because they want to have everyone see what happens when Sarah goes in the box? Or was it just coincidence and Boyd get a little too worked up and his worms didn't like the higher blood pressure? Not sure. Julie finds Elgin on the front steps of the colony house as Ethan runs upstairs to talk to Victor. And then she finds Fatima. Fatima asks Julie to be one of her bridesmaids. She accepts, and then asks about Elgin. Fatima says he is having a rough time, and Julie offers to help him since Fatima did it for her. I'm a big fan of the fact that we have integrated in the bus dwellers. We now have Elgin kicking around Colony House and interacting with Fatima and Julie. You've got Randall causing all sorts of shit, and then you have... Uh, our fanny pack lady who's had a couple scenes with a couple different people at this point. So they they feel very natural. Whereas like Mary has pretty much only been with Christy and hasn't really had too many other interactions, but we'll probably see that evolve a little bit. Ethan knocks on Victor's door when he is drawing a creature. Kind of. It doesn't quite look like what they saw, but He's drawing it. He then gives attitude to a nine-year-old, which, mad props. Victor says he's not happy with Ethan. And Ethan asks if he can come in, and Victor asks if he's going to take anything else. He says he told Jade not to take anything, and Victor says, well, you should have said it louder. <laughs> like, this type of arrested development that Victor has after growing up around all this death all these years, fully on display here. And the conversation that these two have is like listening to two nine-year-old kids argue with each other. Ethan is able to enter and says that Victor helped his mother. Victor says that Tabitha is a nice lady, and he is lucky to have a mother like that. So we know that Victor saw his own mother as a nice lady, so maybe a little kinship there with Tabitha reminding him a bit of his own mother. Victor explains that he is drawing stuff that he and Tabitha saw. He tells Ethan to leave once he starts to ask what they saw, because Victor 
much like a lot of people on this show, don't like to talk about things. I do say that this episode did have some conversations that were needing to happen. And obviously the Sarah explaining as best she can on things was a conversation that needed to happen. Boyd still doesn't really want to talk about what happened out there, but he's getting there. And then obviously Jim and Tabitha have a lot for their own little journeys that they went on. Julie heads over to Elgin and introduces herself. And he asks about Jim. Julie says that even though tons of people have probably told him they're willing to talk, she's here if, he's, if he wants to talk. Elgin thanks her as Ethan leaves the house. And Julie has to chase after him. Christy tests out Boyd's strength and then tells him to relax. Boyd talks about his spider bites. And Christy checks him out and says, well, they're not swollen or inflamed. And then she catches sight of the gaping wound on Boyd's arm. And she's like, you want to tell me about that there, buddy? He freaks out and says he just cut it on a tree. And she tells him, well, it doesn't look infected. Which is a miracle considering that it was like a incredibly rusty metal that sliced into him. But... You know, she tells him to keep it clean. Christy asks about the Parkinson's, and Boyd says that his tremors come and go. She asks if he noticed any new other symptoms. She lists off vision impairment, which we did actually see him have. Muscle stiffness, maybe. Or depression, definitely. Boyd laughs and says everyone here is depressed. And he says that his father suffered from cognitive issues, but Chrissy says that those symptoms don't really manifest until the late stages. She tells him to not put too much stress on his body, and then Boyd starts to laugh again, and he tells her, how can anybody here not put extra stress on themselves? She then laughs with him, and then catches him as he tries to get back up. Kenny goes and visits his mother. She tells him he is working too hard, and she gives him a box of food. Kenny says it's for Boyd, and his mother says they both are working too hard. She asks if he has spoken to Christy, and Kenny says that he knew she was engaged from the beginning. He says that they are starting to unload the bus. Jade comes to the bar and finds Bakta drinking there. He says that he cannot go anywhere alone. Then he figures out that she's the bus driver, and he's like, yeah, you know what, stay as long as you want. Which is the great duality of Jade, because we continue to see these things of him being a complete asshole to people, but then him also being very, very caring towards people. You know, he was kind of a prick to the Matthews family, but he does show some signs there. And then here he is with Bakta instantly being like, oh, I can't be fucking alone. And then being like, oh shit, she's been through a lot of things. Yeah, go ahead and drink as much as you want. Bakta says that Elgin told her to turn around and she ignored him. And Jade asks if that was before or after the tree. And she says after, to which he says, oh, well, that's fine. You were already fucked by the time you, yeah, he told you that. Bakta says that those people got on her bus and it was her responsibility. And then Jade, Jade of course, turns back into normal Jade and asks if her pity party comes with music and finger foods. Jade tells her it's not her fault. If she wants to feel like shit, go for it. But feel like shit because your own life is shit. Plus, they were all riding a bus, so their lives couldn't have been all that great to begin with. Which actually gets a laugh out of her, and then they continue to drink. Bakta says that she wasn't supposed to be driving that day, 
and last month she paid off her tuition, which is why she took the job to begin with. She decided to stay on a bit longer to get a little bit extra money so she could treat herself to a vacation before starting her career. Now, this bit of information brings up another good question. A lot of the people who came here were transitioning to either another line of work or another phase of their lives. Jade tells her that he just sold his company. That's obviously something that he was either going to just sit back and retire on or he was going to do something else, but that's a transition into something new. She obviously was changing jobs. She had finished her, her degree. Tabitha and Jim were getting a divorce. Christy and Mary were getting married. And Boyd was retiring before coming there. Father Catra killed the dude and was most likely going to be removed from the church and probably going to jail, so that's a pretty easy one to figure out as well. And then you have some other people that we haven't gotten backstories on, and it seems like maybe Abby, Elgin, the other Matthews family members, like they were going to have a smaller adjustment, but based more so on the person that was driving or the person that was kind of the reason why they got there. And you think about Kenny's father, he was on his way out, I guess you would say, or at least, you know, dealing with his dementia is a different phase of life. So I'm not sure if that's going to be something that we'll continue to see, or if that's just something that is a literary device to get us to invest in people and realize that, like, oh, they had all these plans and they kind of got screwed by coming there. Bakta asks if this is what she deserves, and Jade toasts to them getting what they deserve. Tabitha arrives at the clinic to not find Jim. She instead finds Mary messing with the pills. She has a bottle in her hand and then puts it back and claims that she was helping inventory them. That is hella sus. Like, first of all, you don't have a pad of paper or anything like that to write down the amount of pills that you have in all these bottles. You don't have a list of the medication you have there to check to make sure that everything is good. You're literally just a person holding pills in your hand when somebody came into a empty clinic. I don't know that you're being truthful. She tells Tabitha that Jim left a while ago, and Tabitha finds him near the diner. Jim says they need to talk. They both look at the wreckage of their house, and Jim says he sat down there thinking why the road led them here. Before he can continue, Randall tells the others who are going through the luggage of dead people that they're fucking vultures. Jim says that Chrissy's fiancé was on the bus. He says that the wires not leading anywhere is not possible. Tabitha's like, no, no, I saw it. And he goes, no, 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 no. I believe you. What he's getting at is the wires not connecting to anything is the impossible thing, not the fact that they don't connect to anything. Jim says that when they build a new roller coaster, they design it to appear to do things that nobody can believe. He wonders if the town is actually a fucked up experiment and the place is designed to mess with them. Jim tells her that the radio worked, but nobody knows because the voice knew Jim's name and told him about Tabitha. Tabitha asks if he thinks someone is watching them, and Jim says it's possible, and she asks if anybody else heard the voice. Obviously, with her going through her own thing, 
of seeing two children that nobody else can see. That is a good legitimate question. Um, are you sure that you actually heard it? Like, is there anybody else that heard it? And if anybody else did hear it, then maybe you should be talking to them. Boyd washes up and finds Father Country sitting at his desk. There is a chessboard in front of him, and Country says that it's Boyd move, but his options are pretty limited. Boyd says that it's not real, and he tells him that he has a magic boy telling him how to save people, and his hand is not shaking anymore, but now he has worms. So for now, he appears to have been cured of an incurable ailment, which of course means... He was just lying to Christy when he said that his tremors come and go. And this is true that we have not seen him have any sort of issues with his hand since getting his little worm buddies. The ghost of Katri, or most likely just a hallucination, uh, asks how he is going to tell Kenny that Sarah killed his father. Boyd tries to defend this, but Katri says she opened the door, and Kenny isn't going to care about semantics. He says that not only did Boyd hide this from Kenny, but he put his trust into the person responsible. He wonders if telling Kenny will do any good, or just relieve Boyd of the burden of knowing. Boyd says it was all Katri's idea in the first place, and Katri says, yeah, well, you know, don't blame the dead. Boyd says that Kenny will understand. Sarah was, and still might be valuable. Katri tells him to keep his fucking mouth shut so that Sarah isn't torn apart by the townsfolk. Or, you know, the creatures. Sometimes you need to make tough decisions to keep people safe. Boyd says he is more of an asshole in death than he was in life. Katri says that Boyd is the thing that keeps Kenny alive and sane. He is what Kenny holds onto, much like Fatima needs Ellis to hold onto. Boyd is the father Kenny no longer has. He asks what happens when Kenny loses that, and broken people don't survive here. Jim finds Donna and tells her that they need to talk, since she heard the voice too. Donna brings him into the kitchen and says, of course she heard it. And how fucking stupid is Jim? Because she heard some spooky fucker warn Jim 20 minutes before his house collapsed. And that is not a good sign. Because if people are watching them, they're not trying to help them. She says that they might even not be people that were on the other end of that, because there are things that walk and talk like them until they rip your guts out. Donna says not to ignore it, but to keep it quiet. Jim asks where the radio went, and Donna says it was in the back and it got damaged during the storm. She asks that he not do anything until she says to do something. Randall then causes a fight, so she has to go deal with that. We see that Randall is actively beating the shit out of some guy who is going through his stuff. Donna asks if he is fucking kidding with her. Randall says this only works if everyone stays out of his shit, and then he grabs his bag and leaves. Kenny finds Sarah and gives her the food that he claimed was for Boyd. Kenny asks about her saving Boyd's life, and she says it's hard to explain. He asks how a voice in her head convinces her to kill Nathan and a young boy. Kenny wants to believe that Boyd is in the right here, and he begs her to help him understand why Boyd doesn't want to punish her. He says that she was always a friend to him, and his mother always viewed her as a daughter. He asks her to convince him she doesn't belong in the box. And Sarah says Boyd gave her a chance when she didn't deserve it. 
and Kenny says that they can try to convince people that what she did could be forgiven. She then stops him and tells him that she opened the door to the clinic. Fatima talks to Donna. He says that she knows the type. Everything is a personal attack and everything is a battle with Randall. Fatima says maybe they should ease up on the communal sharing and Donna says, yeah, maybe we'll just give him a whole fucking wing of the house. And then she goes, you know what? Fuck it. She grabs an axe. Last time she grabbed an axe, there's still a hole in the floor. She tells Randall to get his shit and leave. And he laughs, so then she chops into the wall next to his head with the axe. Donatelle leads him out and then sees that Bakta is moving the bus. She says she didn't want people staring at it while they were eating, and Donna says, eh, well, I can't blame you. Seems Randall's new home is the bus. The bus, that is still covered in the blood of two people, doesn't have any window shades, and, you know, not the most secure place, but that does mean that Randall gets to spend the night face-to-face with the creatures. She puts the talisman from the Matthews home in the front window, and Donna explains to him that if it drops at any point, the creatures can and will get in. He asks if she is done swinging her dick around, and Donna says she doesn't care if he doesn't want people going through his shit, but she'll be fucked if he thinks he can hurt any other of her people. Since he doesn't seem to get what's happening, now he gets to see it firsthand. Fanny Pack walks up to Boyd and introduces herself as Tilly. She says Boyd, or she asks Boyd about his adventure, and Boyd says he needs to talk to Kenny. Tilly says Kenny went to the clinic, so Boyd runs off. Interesting that she knows about Boyd and his adventure. I guess, you know, it is a small town and talk gets around, but seems like an interesting bit of information that she has. Boyd finds Kenny staring at his father's bloodstain, and before they came here, Kenny never saw his mother cry. Every night now he can hear her sobbing. She is convinced that it was her fault that Bian died because she wasn't there to keep track of him. But now he knows that's actually not the case. He didn't open the door. Boyd admits that he knew. Kenny pushes Boyd and screams at him for not telling him. Kenny says Sarah is going in the box. He takes up his badge, throws it on the floor, and tells Boyd to watch his own fucking six. And that is our episode this week. What a doozy. I know there wasn't any action, there wasn't any killing, there wasn't any monsters, but there was a lot of character growth, which to me is important to have in a show like this, because otherwise why would you care? And it sets up well for this coming week's episode, because you have Sarah potentially going to get punished, and of course we do have the continuation of the Randall versus Donna feud, and uh, if night falls this coming weekend, it's going to be a very bad night for Randall. So thank you for listening. That's going to do it for me. I will catch you on the next one. Until then, bye-bye.